You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with the AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a Certified Medical Director. What should physicians consider when first meeting a patient's family? Are there any good ground rules to keep in mind? Joining us to discuss communicating with families, setting and maintaining realistic expectations is Dr. David Brechtelsbauer, Associate Professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of South Dakota School of Medicine and an Associate Director at the Sioux Falls Family Medicine Residency. David, welcome. Thank you, Eric. We're going to talk about a topic that comes up all of the time for our long-term care physicians, meeting the family the first time. Meeting the family the first time can be a scary situation. You never know what you're getting into. A few people are comfortable or have known the family beforehand, which helps immensely. I think the more one has experience in the long-term care setting and the more comfortable one becomes, the harder it is to remember what a scary, unexpected experience this is for family members. And the first thing I think to do is to keep that in mind, that what seems routine to you is probably something they never expected to be facing. The second thing is to know as much about the patient, the patient's problems, and the family as you can. Sometimes that's not very much, but getting to know as many details as you can as part of the homework you have to do to get prepared. The third thing is to find out what they know or think they know before you explain what you know. Ask what they've been told. It's always interesting what they heard what happened at the hospital or what was told to them. And I think it's fair to ask follow-up questions about what they understand about what they told and then ultimately how they feel about what they've been told. That will give you a basis to proceed. What information do you usually have available to you before you see the patient at the nursing home? Ideally, we would have a discharge summary that would include what happened in the hospitalization and what the expectations were in the next setting of care. Too often, we only have a statement from the family that they told us that Medicare would pay for 100 days, and that's all they heard or all they were told, probably the former. At times, before I go to meet the family, I will try to call the discharging physician or the social worker or the case manager to get a little better idea how it went in the hospital, uh, what the impression is, what the family knows and is expecting. If absolutely you can't get that information, you just have to kind of go in cold and the questions that we mentioned previously about what they've been told, what they understand, is what you have to go on. But hopefully you have time to do a little homework and chase down the information from the hospital setting. Any other comments about physician homework in preparing for that first visit? Most of our patients are coming from an acute care facility and talking to the docs, getting the records is important. The other thing in terms of getting what the family understood, it's important when you have that family meeting to not talk first. In fact, talk to the family member who's the least empowered. That might mean the least educated. That may be the one that's not physical present but on the speakerphone. But most out of the loop and get that person to talk first. If the dominant person in the family talks first, you won't really know what the other family members are thinking. And then have the care team talk last. The initial round of conversation very much should be a case where set the ground rules that everybody's going to have their say because I want to know what you guys are thinking and what you know and what you're feeling. But no interruptions till we go around the room once to see where people are. That sounds as if it would be inefficient, but I've been surprised a number of times with families. By the time the third or fourth family member is speaking, they pause a minute and they say, well, I don't have a lot to add. I agree with Bob and Mary or whatever. And I think getting those out 
ahead of time. It may take a little bit longer time then, but it makes things go much speedier down the road. At your facilities, do you have any process in place where you get families and the attending physician together? Any advice you can give our listeners for that process to take place? In the facilities I work, the social worker is the main contact point for the families. The social worker will contact the attending physician if they think there's uh, unusual family issues. Then it's pretty much in the attending physician's ball court as to how they're going to respond to that. Uh, call to the family, meeting up at the nursing home. For better or worse, I would say worse, but it's the real world that's generally a phone call. Yeah, the logistics are tough. How many times for your first visit do you actually get to see family members in attendance? Probably less than 25% of the time of the family actually present when I'm there. And with nurse practitioners, I think you've got quite a few in your program. They help out sometimes getting to the families as well? Yeah, the nurse practitioner schedule is a little more flexible or can be adjusted quickly if we have an admission and the family is going to be present. And I think the nursing skills the nurse practitioner has in terms of looking at the big picture, being sensitive to the psychosocial and family issues is immensely helpful. And that is very helpful when I can't make it personally, or maybe it's even helpful when I can make it because they're pretty good. Uh, You talked about the 100 days. That's a very concrete goal that families look at, the discharge for the short-term patient. How do you go about the give and take of setting goals? Goal setting is difficult, particularly if you find out about what they've been told, if the expectations and your expectations based on assessing the patient are discrepant. The first thing, because the 100 days is so specific, is to add what they've probably been told that didn't hurt, that the 100 days you have to be making progress towards goals or that 100 days may stop early. And even if you're making progress to goals on day 100, the benefit stops. It's just a 100-day benefit. So that's the financial practical part. For medical expectations, it's a negotiation process. And once again, knowing what the patient or the family has been told and is thinking, obviously that's what they're thinking. You don't deny that thought process, but you may begin to ask them to consider, oh, if we don't get what we're wanting, working hard for, hoping for, we better think a little bit about what we're going to do if we don't reach that goal and what the alternatives will be if we don't make as much progress as we hope. That kind of plants the seed that the advantage in long-term care is that most things can be addressed again in a week or two weeks or three weeks. There's not usually an immediate decision that has to be made. And sometimes the best you can do is agree to disagree. With some compassion, you have to say, I'm not sure that goal is realistic, but certainly we work toward it. And after a few weeks and we see how things really are going, we can talk again. Well, for short-term patients, I'm always uncomfortable myself in discussing medications and switches in medications. How do you probe those issues on people that you're going to have maybe just for 100 days or maybe a month only versus those that you're going to have for a longer period of time? That's an excellent question, and it's hard because sometimes people come in on medication programs that you wouldn't personally agree with, although they're not absolutely wrong or unwise, and sometimes you choose to uh, not address some things that may be interesting and challenging but not important to address at this time. Other times, you just have to bring up the same questions. What were you told when this medicine was started? Some people know, some people don't. Then explain what the current evidence base would suggest for that particular medication and suggest that a trial off the medication or a dose reduction may be appropriate. It's particularly problematic with some of the drugs that the regulations address in terms of unwise for the elderly, and they show up in your facility. 
you're kind of forced by regulation to address them, although you might not be perceiving side effects and would rather not. Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangelos, and joining me to discuss communicating with families, setting and maintaining realistic expectations is Dr. David Brechtelsbauer, Associate Professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of South Dakota School of Medicine and an Associate Director at the Sioux Falls Family Medicine Residency. David, let's pursue the setting expectations part some more, because I think as physicians, we are all teachers. Is it better to respond to the patient in family emotions or to remain objective as you talk about setting expectations? I think your credibility in setting the scientific or medical expectations you believe are true is greatly assisted by responding somewhat to the emotions expressed by the patient and family and remembering this looks different to them than it does to us. If you are too scientific, everything comes down to a number and a calculation, and you don't perceive or don't appear to perceive the tragedy from the family point of view in front of you, they quickly stop listening, and then you will get more conflicts. That's very interesting. Sometimes families bring in their own lists of things to do, and I'm sure you respond to them. But how often do you send families back to do their own homework? I think to illustrate that this is a team process and we're all working on this to try to get the best possible outcome, I frequently assign homework. That can be a little scary if people are going to go on the web and get who knows what kind of information as far as credibility. But I will assign things that I think are readable for the family that I have some confidence in And occasionally we'll have to respond to something they found on the Internet that isn't credible, but if they found it, you may have to address it. So it's a little bit of a two-sided sword in this day and age of electronic information being so available. But I think assigning homework, it really gives an example and illustrates to the family by what you're expecting that this is a group process and it's not just the doctors in charge and they're supposed to say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. Do you have a nice success story you could share with us briefly? Well, I recall one time... If things are going well, it's fairly easy. But if things aren't going well, we really will call a formal family meeting. And I recall once where we had a patient with advanced vascular dementia, was having lots of episodes of aspiration and pneumonia, and had repeated hospitalizations where we usually succeeded, treated successfully, but it seemed to be more and more difficulty and less and less improvement in the patient. And we were sitting with four sons and a daughter, and the daughter was the youngest and the apple of her dad's eye. And once we went around the room asking everybody what they think and what they perceived, and the family heard one another talking, and it was clear that the daughter was the one that just couldn't not hospitalize her dad based on their experience and relationship emotionally for their whole lives. At that point, everybody on the treatment team on our end understand that a little bit better and became less chagrined about these bouncing back and forth between the acute care hospital. We continued that do hospitalize order for a while, but having had that meeting, I think it was two months later, there was a change in goals of care and care plan and don't hospitalize without contacting family first in case there'd be something we did want to hospitalize about. And ultimately that man did die in the nursing home, probably of an episode of aspiration pneumonia, but the family felt good about it because they'd been concluded in that process. And the brothers very much respected their sister until she was ready to change their mind. They weren't going to bully her into the change. Yeah, as the clinical condition changes, the expectations certainly do as well. How do you handle other situations where care really kind of goes south? 
you hesitate to call the family when things aren't going well, hoping that perhaps it'll do better and we'll get through this. But I think communication sooner is better than later. If things aren't going well, I'll just try to explain where we are, what the plan is, why I'm worried, discuss possible other options of care. This is a situation where sometimes it is more urgent that you could talk to family or there may be urgent decisions to be made. And if you say your initial plan and then say, we're going to get back to you, it may be six hours or first thing in the morning, again, we repeat labs or whatever, but keep them in the loop so they, they're understanding that how things might change very quickly and can readdress things as they arise. Now, at my facility, we occasionally get to an impasse with a patient or their families. I suspect many of our listeners have the same issues. Do you ever recommend to patients and families that they find alternative providers or facilities that may better suit their needs? I certainly have done that. I always feel a little bit like a failure when I do, but sometimes it is in everyone's best interest to suggest, and you're obligated to, of course, assist them to find alternative providers and facilities that perhaps would be more compatible with what their goals are, their desires are. But that's always not satisfying, but sometimes part of the job. You teach in the medical school. Do you get the opportunity to take students out to the nursing home and show them this approach? We have students and residents with us in the nursing home almost all the time we're there. Another opportunity we have here that's fairly unique is we have an end-of-life course that is taught by faculty from the nursing school, the medical school, social work faculty, clinical pastoral education, and we have a seminary here, faculty, and pharmacy faculty. So we have those students together and those faculties together for a five-week, every Tuesday afternoon course, seeing hospice or palliative care patients in teams and then discussing in small groups. Frankly, it's the most exciting teaching I do with that multidisciplinary student body and faculty. Do you have any other comments or suggestions for our listeners today as we wind down? I think the hesitation is that talking with families is going to take too much time. I think if you invest the time up front, ultimately you'll save time and you'll have happier patients, happier families, and you'll feel more fulfilled professionally. I think I have to agree. Uh, We teach the same way that if you let everybody have their opportunity to speak, it actually takes less time than if you start to interrupt them. Exactly. Dr. Brechtelsbauer, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. Thank you. I was glad to participate. You've been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with the AMDA. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com which features on-demand podcasts of all of our programming.